0: This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO Shareathon is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444, enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the Donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, April 26th, we are studying Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. Jesus has just ascended into heaven and now the disciples return to Jerusalem where the first order of business for the early church is filling the office of apostle that was vacated by Judas Iscariot. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you. Good to be back.
0: Pastor Preuss, as we get started this morning, let's talk a little context. We're only a little way into the book of Acts, but what do we need to know context-wise that helps us look at this text today?
1: Yeah, well, this is uh, that happening in that 10-day period between Jesus' ascension and is uh, and the Pente- and pentecost, the the showering of the holy spirit upon the disciples, uh, where the with the tongues of fire and the speaking of tongues. So Jesus has just ascended into heaven, and chapter twelve literally picks up from there with their walk home uh, to Jerusalem, and then uh, they have this one episode uh, where they choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Uh, so it's uh it's interesting. There's a lot in there, but it's an interesting uh, little
0: episode. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's go ahead and take a look at the text. Again, we're in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 this morning. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, Which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a caldema, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. That's our text for today. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Pastor Price, as you said, this text picks up right where the last one left off. They go back to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet. Luke gives us a little bit of geographical information here. Set the scene for us. Where is this happening?
1: Well, this, uh, I uh, mourn at my ignorance of the geography of uh, Jerusalem. I really, uh, The more I read Scripture, the more I want to go to Israel and visit these sites so that I could actually walk. These uh, paths and roads and, and see how far they are. So uh, Luke tells us that the Sabbath day journey, and everything I read says that that is the amount of time, or the amount of uh, distance, the, the distance that uh, pious Jews were would walk or would permit themselves to walk on the Sabbath. So 2,000 cubits, or about half a mile. Uh, the thing that's uh, a little bit puzzling is we know that Bethany, it, it, the Mount of Olives, it, as far as Bethany, that's what Luke says, for where Jesus ascends into heaven. And uh, we know that Bethany is about two miles from uh, Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly where Jesus ascended. I mean, if you visit Jerusalem, you'll be able to find, go to Mount Olive. Olive there right now, right now today. And there'll be a place where they will claim this is where Jesus ascended in heaven. You can go and take a picture of it. Uh, whether that's the actual place, I don't know. It really, I guess, depends on uh, where this upper room is. But this is—it is a neat little passage because we all know about Mount Olive. That's where Jesus goes and uh, prays to his heavenly Father. It's a place well known to his disciples. Uh, he spent lots of time there, and lots of churches are named Mount Olive. And then even this upper room—that uh, I—I think this is the same upper room where Jesus tells them to go and prepared the Passover and where he institutes the Lord's Supper, and uh, and where Judas leaves to go and betray him. And then, uh, and that, we also know that that is very close to the Mount of Olives, because uh, the Evangelist tells us that after they had finished eating, after they had had the Lord's Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives singing hymns, So then Jesus goes up, goes up to pray. We know that it's nearby. So, I don't know, uh, I suppose maybe it's a half-mile walk, That's what that's what uh, I I read established exactly day journey is uh but uh it's definitely less than two than two miles I would say. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't say, I suppose, specifically that this is the exact same upper room that is mentioned in the Gospels. And yet it makes a lot of sense, particularly when you think about the timeline. You know, it's sometimes we forget the events of Acts are happening right on the heels of the events of the Gospel. And so not a ton of time has passed. And so for them to keep the same locations and a similar pattern, I mean, Jesus would go in and out of the city during Holy Week. And so, I mean, that similar pattern for the apostles here. After Jesus' ascension, it makes sense that it it could would be that same upper room. Luke, then he go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, it seems that Jesus had 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 an agreement uh, with the owner of that building and uh, their lease or whatever it was, or or free or whatever it is. It it seems that I mean it's only been forty days uh, since uh, since Jesus' resurrection, so we're talking about all this happening within a two month period of Jesus getting them getting that room you know, entering Jerusalem to stay in there.
0: Mm. Luke then mentions the participants who are in this upper room, and he starts with a, a fairly familiar list. Talk just a little bit about the apostles who are named here.
1: Yeah, well, if you go to uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, it names the exact same people, almost in the same order, although there's a little bit of variation there, with one exception. Uh, as far as the person, and that is Judas Iscariot. So, these, uh, what we have in verse 13, these are the 11 apostles who are left. Uh, Luke, as people should know, also wrote the book of Acts, uh, lists these same names in uh, Luke chapter 6. Uh, and Judas in Acts chapter 1 is missing, which kind of leads us to the big topic right here, which is to replace Judas uh... we also have Mary, the Mother of Jesus. So we know that Mary would follow Jesus uh, and be among the company, uh, although at times it seems that she uh, isn't sure about his mission because you'll have Mary and his brothers outside the crowd, and they'll be calling to him, and Jesus will say, "Oh, who is my mother and my brothers? but those who hear the word of God and and see it. Um, and uh, and then uh, there are the the women. Ah, uh, these women would be the same women who had followed Jesus from Galilee; uh, those who had been taking care of his needs from their own, from what they had. Uh, and some of them are named. So, of course, Mary Magdalene, Jonah, and Mary, the mother of James, those are named uh, in Luke chapter twenty-four. And uh, and they, these women would have been weeping as Jesus is going to the cross, and they saw where Jesus was buried, and uh, they're the first witnesses of his resurrection. Uh, so they're the first Christians, really, the first uh, uh, resurrection-believing Christians. Uh, then you have Mary, I mentioned Mary, uh, his mother, and then you have uh, his brothers. And that's an interesting thing, too, because we know from John's Gospel said that even his brothers did not believe in him in John chapter 7. Then Mark chapter 3, it even says that his brother said that he was crazy, and uh, but uh, it seems that his brothers have come around. Uh, in First Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared in his resurrection to James. And I'm kind of wondering whether that James is James' brother and perhaps the same author of the, the epistle uh, of, of James. Um, so, I mean, there, there can be debate around that. But it appears that he appeared to his uh, brothers and that they have now joined the apostles and have become repentant believers uh and then verse 15 at this uh particular day you have 120 gathered uh so if you remember again from first 15 15 uh, jesus appears after his resurrection to 500 individuals at one time so i believe that everyone who gathers with them, all 120 of these people, uh, are witnesses of the resurrection, and that's why they're devoting themselves to this to this prayer. Mm. Um, so, and, and the reason why they're there, I, I think, is for for two two reasons. One, because this is what Christians do. Uh, in verse uh, fourteen, it says, "All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer." I think this should reminds someone who's familiar with his Bible of Acts two forty two, uh, which is after Pentecost. But it says and they devoted themselves to the apostle's teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Of course that's a great example of showing this is what Christians do. They gather to worship. So here they are worshiping. Uh and then also the reason why they're there is because Jesus explicitly told them. Uh he says this in, in Luke chapter twenty four, but wait in Jerusalem until uh, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive Paul from on high. So they are waiting for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit. They know He's coming, so that's why they're staying in Jerusalem. And then also, I think it, uh, just with how quickly all this happens. Mm. I mean, this is just ten days, and be, so be, be, so the, the, the Holy Spirit comes. I think promptly. Right? You have Jesus descends on the 40th day. On the 50th day, you have the Holy Spirit. So in that small 10-day window. They say, we really need to replace Judas. We can't just have 11, Mm -hmm. we have to have 12. Uh, So I think that when they're meeting together, when they're praying, when they're discussing what Jesus had taught them in the Scriptures, that uh, they are uh, talking a lot about this and talking about who are candidates to replace Judas. Mm. And I think that's what... uh, I think there's not only they gather regularly during those 10 days, but that this specific day was a special assembly uh, for the purpose of calling
0: uh, uh, someone to replace you. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've never really thought too much about this, but now that you've, you're bringing it up, I'd I'd kind of like to think that this happens on on the Sunday in between Ascension and Pentecost. And the only and I have, of course, have absolutely no way of proving that by any means, but I'd like for it to be a Sunday only because that seems to be the pattern that is set, particularly in John's gospel, that, that they keep getting together on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, one week after another. And so I'd really like for this to be a Sunday, but I, I have absolutely no way of knowing that for a fact.
1: No, I think we should dogmatically assert that it's Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not, maybe that's so far, but I, I think you're probably right. Um, Sundays are huge. And yeah, John, you're right, John's gospel shows that they got together on the first day of the week. Then eight days later, I mean, the eighth day, the next Sunday, Jesus gets them again. Uh, they got together on the first day of the week. I mean, that's when Paul preached until late into the night. Uh, St. John calls it the Lord's Day. Christians have been worshiping on Sunday together, uh, communally, t- uh, corporately, uh, for two almost 2,000 years. And uh, I think Christians, I mean, we're free in the sense that we're not bound by new moons or Sabbath. But I think we should take this Sunday thing very seriously, especially as we see how wicked the world is and how actively they're trying to destroy the faith of our of our children. It's not an innocent thing to skip church on Sunday to go and and do other things. Uh, we should really take this very seriously, because this is how the apostles are. So you're right; it doesn't explicitly say it, but. At the very least, they did meet on Sunday. That's right. We know
0: that. Yeah, Yeah, certainly they were together on on Sunday during that 10-day period. Just a a couple of thoughts on the the names that are mentioned. As you said, you know, the, the names of the apostles are the same, minus Judas. The order's a little different, and it strikes me that you have... Peter and John and James and Andrew that, that in the I normally think of James and John but here the order gets reversed and you know later in the book of Acts you're going to see Peter and John doing things together James is going to be the first of the twelve who's who's martyred and so I, you know, I kind of wonder maybe there's something to the order it's nothing I don't know it's just kind of interesting to see the big thing is that Judas Iscariot is missing as you said and then as you pointed out the fact that his brothers are named is a pretty significant detail I, I think you're right that the James James who is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 is very likely the the James who wrote the epistle that bears that name one of the brothers of Jesus probably the the same James that's mentioned in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council and i think i think that the Jude who wrote the book of Jude i think he is also one of the the brothers of of Jesus if i'm not mistaken or at least that's what many think
1: yeah it doesn't you no, know, now I'm trying to remember how that starts off. Doesn't it, doesn't he start off calling himself the brother of James?
0: I think you're right.
1: Because it's like it's the, this humble thing where he doesn't say the brother of Jesus. He says the yeah. He says the brother of Jude, servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, and then James, their first name, servant of Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we and we know that Jesus had uh, brothers named uh, James and Judas. Right. And there's a the whole debate. I mean, I'm not too interested in. in you know how they are brothers. Some people argue whether they're, you know, brothers of Joseph or sons of Joseph from a from a previous marriage. Others say that uh, they're cousins uh, that are just called brothers. but then others would say that they're the biological children, Mary and Jesus' younger brothers. So I'm I'm not too interested in in that. Um, people get really heated about it, which so probably makes me makes them even matter when I don't. But I don't, when I say that, I'm not interested in it,
0: but uh, oh well. Sir, and I think the the point that you made, though, is, is most important, that these were those who had opposed Jesus, who did not believe in him, and now because of the resurrection, they are, they come to faith in Jesus, which is a pretty big point for the whole book of Acts, that people who haven't gotten it or haven't believed, it is the word of the Lord from the risen Christ that brings them to faith, which I mean, that's that's how we're Christians as well. The word of the risen Lord has brought us to faith. And so here already in the book of Acts, we're seeing examples of that. And even, even the 11 who are named, these were those who Peter had denied Jesus and the others had deserted him. So, I mean, we're seeing how the word of the Lord is already at work here in the book of Acts to bring people to faith, to keep them in the faith. So, as you mentioned, they're there to pick a replacement for judas and before we get to to that event i want to talk just at least a little bit about how peter starts his speech his i don't know if it's a sermon how we want to classify it but the the way that he he speaks about the scripture i think is is worth paying attention to before we talk about what peter's actually talking about in verse 16 peter says brothers the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. The way that Peter speaks about the scripture being the Holy Spirit speaking through David, this is a pretty key text, I think, when it comes to what we believe about what the scripture is as the word of God.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I almost take that for granted, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Peter believed in the inspiration of scripture and what we mean by inspiration or inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit caused this to be written, which, of course, St. Peter tells us uh, in his second epistle, where he says that uh, uh, that no prophecy uh, came from the man's mortification, but uh, holy men spoke from God and they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so uh, David didn't just write about people who betrayed him. Uh, yes, he had people betray him, but the Holy Spirit caused him to write these things about Christ, and this is what Jesus taught them. I mean, Scripture cannot be broken. And he was, he frequently would quote the psalm. You know, the, the, he who has, he uh, who ate bread with me has, risen, has raised his heel against me. Uh, I mean, that's the psalm of David, which uh, speaks of Judas betraying Jesus. Uh, so I think it's a very good thing to catch, and I think that we have to insist on this. Um, the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It's not, uh, it's, not a, uh, uh, you know, it's not called the Word of God in an honorary way. It is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit caused these words to be written. None of them were written apart from the Holy Spirit. They're what God intends, and they all have significant meaning, and we're not wasting our time studying Scripture. And uh, whenever we have a church or a pastor, who tries to stray for what Scripture says, who try to claim that Scripture is unclear or change the teaching of the church uh, by ignoring what Scripture says, uh, these people should be marked and avoided. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the world is so evil, and we're seeing this more and more. I mean, I don't know if we're getting more evil, maybe I'm just becoming more aware of it as I grow older and, and uh, study Scripture more. But uh, how do we avoid these? Things? we turn to scripture and we should take it very seriously. The idea that you can just go to a church that denies that the Bible is an inner word of God you say, Oh well it's close enough. No it's not a huge red flag. If they deny that scripture is the word of God, you should mark and avoid them because they do not have the same spirit as Saint Peter.
0: Mm. Just since, since you brought it up with the, the difference, uh, dig into that a little bit more. You, you mentioned that you can believe, as Peter does, that the Scripture is the Word of God, or you can claim, as some attempt to do today, that the Scripture contains the Word of God. What, what is the difference, and why is that important?
1: Well, so it's, it's a huge difference because the Bible contains the Word of God. I mean, my backyard might contain some gold. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everything that I dig up out of the ground is gold. There's going to be a lot of dirt and junk. Well, if that's how I think about the Word of God, then I'm mean, going to think there's a lot of junk in there. Mm. And uh, what's worth about it is that? You, I mean, you, you, my back backpack probably doesn't have any gold. But uh, <laughs> like, how are you going to determine whether it's gold or not, right? Well, it turns into the, the, the private interpretation of people. is exactly what Peter tells us not to do. Mm. So people privately determine what they want to believe is the Bible and, and what, uh, or is the Word of God and, and what isn't. Uh, and uh, our sinful flesh will not let us uh, hold on to the Word of God. So, I mean, I heard um, recently someone told me that, uh, that you know, there are a lot of conservative uh, pastors in the ELCA, uh, including as like women pastors. Well, I mean, it depends what you mean by conservative. Conservative doesn't really mean anything anymore. But no, there aren't. There really aren't. I mean, there are some. I, I know what they mean. There are some who have written complaints, but unless they just simply are, as, you know, acting contrary to uh, everything that they think and hold dear, the reason why people are in the ELCA or, or pastors, especially are in the ELCA, is because they reject the full authority of Scripture, mm. uh, especially if they're a woman pastor. Because Bible's clear that women can't be pastors, we're we're dealing with people the, oh, that they're like oh but they're mostly conservative oh they still believe that Jesus rose from the dead oh wow well, great great that they still believe that Jesus was from the dead a lot of them don't but I mean why do you believe that Jesus rose from from the dead I mean it, it's uh, it turns into these uh... you're picking and choosing and for what for how long we should believe that everything in the Bible is is true and that it's that it's God's word uh, so that we're not choosing and like picking and choosing uh... because then the gospel is a very fragile thing, mm. and we can very easily lose it, especially since uh, our sinful flesh cannot accept it. Well, it can only be given as a gift by the Holy
0: Spirit. Yeah, it's important to recognize that distinction, and you explained it very well. And I, just to, to see that, and you mentioned the, the ELCA particularly, that those surface differences between us as the Missouri Synod and the ELCA, such as that we do not ordain women according to scripture, that that really is a surface difference. It's important. It's an important difference, but it is a surface that the real issue is what do you believe about God's word? And and to recognize that that's where the problem really lies is what do you believe the scripture is? Is it God's word or does it just contain God's word such that I can pick and choose? And when you go back to that root, that's where you see the problem the surface problem actually start and so it is important for us as christians to hold on to the same truth that as you said jesus taught and peter echoes that the scripture is the word of god given by the holy spirit spoken through david and i, I just the other thing that that strikes me about this whole passage too is how quickly peter begins to put into practice what the lord had taught him during those 40 days that the, luke ends with jesus or one of the things that happens at the end of Luke is that Jesus opens their minds to understand that the scriptures are about him. And already we see Peter putting that into practice as he goes into the Psalms and finds how these verses are about the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in Judas's betrayal. Peter's already using what Jesus has taught him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, obviously Peter has a special portion of the Holy Spirit. Sure. uh, Uh, but, uh, you kind of see this with any like, seminarian, graduates seminary seminarian, does the first Bible study. <laughs> and often, they will be really good Bible studies and uh, often what will, will happen more than people with a seasoned pastor, is there's just too much, right? Uh, because they are just really getting immersed in Scripture and still excited, teach all the things that they've learned, uh, and then they might end up, you know, spending uh, four weeks of, uh, on one, on one um, hook. <laughs>
0: passage or something right. but uh we, yeah, we were young pastors you- once pastor preuss we you know <laughs> i think i started and we did three years on the gospel of matthew yeah, <laughs> yeah. well that's good It's great I mean, it is good <laughs> so in that sense peter is pretty pretty he, he picks and chooses quite wisely to only pick two passages from the psalms that apply to judas he, he does it quite well and, and masterfully considering that that his lord has just ascended and just given this information he does it quite masterfully so we're gonna we're gonna pick up more of what peter does and the rest of this text on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfuo we're talking acts chapter one with pastor preuss we will be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, April 26th. We're studying Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26 with Pastor James Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at Peter, who begins now to stand up among the brothers. About 120 of them are there, and he leads them to the task at hand, which is to find a replacement for Judas. And before we look at the details of what he says, Uh, why is this a a concern at all? Why is it, why is it important that they have someone in Judas's spot?
1: Yeah, I mentioned that before. It's very interesting, especially when you consider, you know, uh, when a congregation calls a pastor, it takes months to get a pastor (laughs) and the call committees and all these other things. They do this in 10 days. Uh, I think the 12 is an important number. I mean, you have the 12, tribes of Israel. You have the twelve disciples, and Jesus gave them this number. So Jesus actually says to them, "You know, you will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Uh, it's recorded in Matthew nineteen verse twenty-eight, and then he says that uh, uh, in the upper room, in where I think that they are right now, in Luke twenty-two, because my Father assigned me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So. I think that they think that this this 12 number, or I mean, they believe, they know this 12 number is uh, divinely uh, ordered and, uh, and they want to have it fulfilled.
0: Hmm. I think that makes sense. And, and what you said about, I, I've... I'm glad you brought that out that Jesus said this in the upper room and if that is the place where they are I mean, it makes sense that that's going to be on their mind here in this place now before we get to those two quotes that Peter brings out Luke gives us some parenthetical information about what happened to Judas what what did happen to Judas talk a little bit about what we find out here
1: well we know after uh, after the institution of the Lord's Supper Judas runs out to betray Jesus and for 30 so for uh, coins. He, he trades Jesus to the chief priest, so he goes into the Mount Olive, into the garden in, 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 on Mount Olive, and uh, and kisses Jesus so that the guards know who whom to arrest. Uh, he then is remorseful when he sees that Jesus is condemned. I don't know, maybe he didn't realize that Jesus would be killed. Uh, so then he goes and he tries to return the money and they say, no, we don't want it. And So then he throws it at them and uh, and then he goes and hangs himself, and then the chief priests use the money to buy a field, because, which fulfills scripture from Jeremiah and Zechariah, um, because they say they can't use the money for the treasury because it's blood money. Uh, and then here we get an additional detail it's not mentioned uh, in the Gospel, that when he's hanging himself, uh, the rope breaks, or the branch breaks, or whatever happened, and he falls headlong, and his side gushes open. And, um, I mean, it, 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 it shows, it, it goes well with the names of the blood, and of course, it shows the judgment against them. Uh, but what, one thing that I've heard, which I think is interesting, you know, there's this debate did, did Judas receive the, the sacrament of the altar the first time, or the, the Lord suffered the first time he visited. And it kind of seems that he did, uh, especially from Luke. I remember, Luke wrote Acts uh because in Luke twenty two you have Jesus institute the Lord's supper and then immediately after that he says there's someone at this table uh we can betray me. Uh so presumably he that person at the table just received the sacrament. The so Judas, of course, I mean he is a hypocrite, so he's publicly confessing. The disciples think like when he leaves, John says, Oh, they think it the is John or Luke. Uh they, they think that oh he's going uh to go and buy bread or something. Uh I think it's John, I think it's John, yeah, John' he was going buy something for the feast, so they don't even know that he's a betrayer yet, but he is, uh and then you have here his his gut first open, so uh it's- a very literal uh example of what Saint Paul says in first Corinthians eleven where he says you know that let man examine himself before he eats of the the bread and the wine so that he does not uh Judgment against himself, not sparing the body of the Lord, and then he says, so this is why some of you have grown, grown ill, and even died." So uh, there's, you know, I've, I've heard that explained that the reason why his guts burst forth is because he uh, was the first unworthy recipient of the, the Lord's Supper, and uh, his his body his stomach burst forth to that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thought. But uh, it definitely does show you. Uh, Judas is different than Peter. Peter denied Jesus, which was evil. Uh, and Peter wept. Judas wept, too. What's the difference? Peter had faith. We have to remember that there are two parts of repentance. There is sorrow over sin, which even an unbeliever can have. The second is faith. So Peter had true repentance. Judas didn't, Judas didn't believe. And uh, that's why Jesus said it would be better for him if he had not been born. Uh, so Judas went to hell uh, as an unbeliever, and uh, so Peter was rescued from his unbelief.
0: Yeah. We mentioned before the break that Peter quotes from the book of Psalms in two different places about what Judas did. What are, what are these two psalm quotes that Peter offers?
1: Well, the one that Peter quotes is Psalm 69, uh, verse 25, I guess this right, and then also uh, uh, Psalm 109 verse 8, and uh, and these aren't the only psalms though that that quote this betrayal. Uh, you also have Psalm 40, 41 and Psalm 35, uh, which will speak of you know him lifting. I think 41 is the one where he says that he ate table. he ate bread, which means lifted his heel against me. And Psalm thirty-five talks about you know his companion uh, who goes in and, and betrays him. Uh, so it's an interesting thing when we look at these psalms. These are written by David. Obviously, David lived a thousand years before Jesus, uh, and and yeah, of course, he's before David. Uh, and David actually experiences these things. Uh, and that's kind of the thing where you have people like when you look at the psalms, like who is he talking about? And Jesus says, "Oh, they're about me." uh and yet we know the historical things. So even if you if you study the Psalms you'll say, well, this betrayal had to do with Absalom or this betrayal had to do with you know, some other uh major official who uh if you read in uh second Samuel who betrayed him. Um but uh they're all about Jesus. So it's almost as if the Holy Spirit caused David to experience these terrible things uh and uh, and use that to cause him to write the words that he wanted him to write, uh, to pre- predict the betrayal of, of Jesus. Um, but what's also in, uh, important about this, the first one, Maze can't become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Uh, this, is, this is judgment. I mean, this is Jesus who tells us to forgive our enemies, and yet he's also telling us that those who refuse to repent and who do such evil things, I mean Judas I, mean, I, I believe he he sinned against the Holy Spirit. He was a damned man walking. He he could not turn himself. He uh was was wholly impenitent. Uh, that he's going to be he's going to be received judgment, he be sent to hell. Uh the other one, let another take his office, this Peter's taking this very seriously. And who knows, maybe even uh Jesus taught him this. He said this is what this passage means, you have to find a replacement. Um, so I think it's uh, it shows that Peter takes scripture very seriously and it also shows that scripture is all about Jesus
0: now as Peter continues it comes time for someone to take this office and so he he gives a list of qualifications for the one who is to fill this vacant office what are the the qualifications why those well, the qualifications
1: that is so who went in and out among them uh, with the Lord Jesus from the beginning, from the time of his baptism uh, of John until the day that he went up, and that he, he has to be a witness of the resurrection. Uh, so these are, I mean, pretty much he's describing what they all were. The, uh, they they witnessed the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by John. They uh, remained with him the entire time. Witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, uh, and remained with him since, uh, until then. Uh, I think this probably means that uh, Joseph and Messiah are one of the 72 that Jesus that sends out. So, as you know, Luke is the only gospel where he has two sendings. I mean, the other ones will record Jesus uh, sending out the 12 disciples. And Luke, he sends out the 12, but then he also sends out the seventy-two, uh, and uh, and then they they come back. So who are the seventy-two? Well, he names the twelve. They don't name all the seventy-two. I think it's most likely. I, I would be very very surprised if Joseph and Matthias were not part of that seventy-two. Uh, so, yeah, those are the qualifications. Uh, they're taking this very seriously, uh, and also what I think this is. A divine mandate. This isn't just simply them coming up with some good opinions. I mean, they, I think we would all agree. Yeah, that's. That, I mean, if this is what you have, that would make sense. But I think they're taking this the, as a direct command from Jesus, because at the end of Luke chapter twenty-four, uh, Jesus says, "And you are witnesses of these things." So he says, you know, that the 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 death and resurrection of Christ uh, should be preached. Their repentance. to be in his name, and he says, and you are witnesses of these, of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think they would take that as a command that whoever is going to replace them so that they get that 12 number has to be a witness of these things. Mm-hmm. So not only is he guided by the Holy Spirit, but he's actually able to say, yes, I saw him. I saw him heal the blind. I saw him make the lame walk. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him crucified. I saw him rise from the dead. I saw him ascending to heaven. I heard the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son, with whom I want you. I think all
0: these were important. Hmm. And it makes sense that they would be among the 72. And I I like the way you connect it to Luke 24. And, and it's also in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So that, that same terminology, they're making use of the Lord's own words as they look for the replacement there's two that are are put forward you've got joseph and he's also called bar and justice and then there's matthias those are the two and then in order to select they pray and then they cast lots <laughs> so <laughs> why why do they pray and cast lots why is this the the selection method
1: well the, the thing was, and we'll talk a little bit about media and immediate calls uh, but an apostle isn't chosen by apostles. The apostle is chosen by Jesus himself. So they could have had, you know, in election where they just simply chose him. But by the casting of lots, they're avoiding it just being a decision made by the disciples. Uh, and, they're, and so they pray to God and say, God, you choose. And then they cast lots with the belief, the firm belief that God's actually going to control the lot so that the person who gets the, the lot... Uh, that uh, determines that he'll be an apostle is actually given. It's given to him by by God, and this is very much I mean, this is how that works in the Old Testament. You have like the Urim and uh, that would be these two. I believe there were stones of some sort that would have been kept in the effort uh, of the high priest. And from what I understand, how these things would work is you have like a. a co- have one color on one side and another color on the other side. Maybe it's black and white. I'm not sure. And they would throw them, if they're both, just as an example, and I'm not sure, maybe someone knows more about this, but if they're both black, for example, they would say no, God says no. If they're both white, then God says yes. And then if there's one of one color and one of the other, then God's not giving an answer. I think that was the problem with Saul, when it said that God wouldn't Mm -hmm. speak to him, either by all these different things, or by the human being, is that he kept on getting, you know, two colors. So God just simply wouldn't give him an answer. So uh, this is an historical uh, way of asking God to answer your question. And they actually believe that this isn't just simply uh, luck, this isn't meaning they, mo. They pray to God, and they believe that God is going to cause the lot to fall on the person whom God has chosen. Hmm. So he is an apostle in the sense that he is sent by God, not by man. Hmm.
0: And I, I think, I mean, in their prayer, where in verse 24, it says, you Lord, they address their prayer to you, Lord. I, I think, I, mean, I'm, I guess I can't be a hundred percent positive, but I, I think we need to understand that they're praying this to Jesus for just as Jesus, you know, you mentioned in Luke six, that's where you get the names of the 12. Jesus went and prayed and and then selected here. I think they're asking Jesus do that again, select again, and i I don't know. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. I think um, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, Jesus is Lord. I think they're praying to Jesus. Um, they call him Lord. I mean, it's, it's almost exclusive. And obviously, you know, who is Yahweh? You know, the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, with all capital letters of the Old Testament, or Old Testament translations have it. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you're never wrong to call Jesus. Okay, if someone's praying to the Lord, they're praying to to Jesus. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think they are they're specifically praying to Jesus in heaven, the one whom they had just seen a few days earlier uh, ascend to the right hand of God the Father. Mm-hmm. I think that's
0: absolutely right. And that certainly testifies to what they believe about the ascension, that Jesus hasn't left, that he's simply with them in a a different way. And, I mean, this is one of Jesus' own promise in terms of asking in his name, and and here he answers. And so he does. He chooses Matthias through the casting of lots, and he is numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, you've mentioned this already, that this leads us to a discussion of the difference between an immediate an immediate call. And as it so happens, I did not do this on purpose, but it's a wonderful coincidence that it is. Today is call day at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And sometimes I think call day maybe feels to those seminarians, like they just had a lot cast. So Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little bit about the way the church calls pastors today and how it relates. What's similar? What's different from what happens here in Acts chapter one?
1: So, there are two types of calls. There's the immediate call and the media call. And when we hear the word immediate, most people think, oh, it's something that happens right away. Uh, but what we're talking about is a mediator or not? Is there an, a middleman in between? So, an immediate call means that God's not using men to call. example of this in uh, Galatians chapter 1, where St. Paul says, uh, Paul, an apostle, of here after uh Paul the an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, not from uh not from men. Paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, the God and Father who raised him from the dead. And then later on, uh he says that when he was called, uh he did not go and consult with anyone, but he was called directly. And of course we see that in Acts chapter nine. Uh, that God calls Paul, or Jesus himself, the risen Lord, calls Saul uh, directly. So that's what an immediate call is. There's no middle man. And that's the way prophets are called. Uh, the only, I mean, Elisha, God tells Elijah to go call Elisha, but he does have Elijah go and throw a cloak over him. So it's bad. But other than that, I mean, God calls the prophets. And Jesus called the apostles. He went up to them. Jesus is God. He's the one calling them. He doesn't send someone else to go and call them in his stead. Which is why this Matthias thing is is, is a bit, very unique when it comes to the apostles. Immediate call is still sent by God. So all these pastors, these, these men who are going to be called today, they're called by God just as much as the apostles are, except it's immediately, it's through the church. So, uh, and this is how all pastors are called today, uh, that the Church uh, has the right to call pastors and the obligation to call pastors. And uh, so you have representatives of both the uh, Office of Ministry and of the so-called lay uh, members of the congregation, the uh, the hearers, and uh, they call a pastor to a congregation, and it's the whole Church is calling. Uh, and uh, we believe this is a divine call, meaning that's a call from God. And just as in this case, whenever you have immediate call, or uh, you have to make sure that you have certain qualifications, uh, because how do you know that's a divine call? Uh, so Scripture gives us the prerequisite for a pastor. Uh, a great example of this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Where St. Paul says, whoever uh, desires to be, uh, desires the office of overseer, that is, of bishop, he desires a good work, a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. must manage his own household well. And with all dignity, keeping his children in submission. For someone who's not able to manage his own household, so holy care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the kind of damnation of the devil. So, I mean, that's pretty much what the, the job of the seminaries is: is to make sure that these qualifications are met. And for so the seminary uh, this is the way it works in our church anyway. Uh, the seminary certifies, right, and then you have uh, the, uh, uh, the the, the governance of the synod in the district that agree that these men can be called, and then you have the actual congregation, which normally works with the district to call a pastor, whether it's from seminary or someone who's already serving another congregation or, or uh, has graduated from seminary for whatever reason, may not be serving the congregation at that time. Uh, so it's always, it, it's through the church, uh, through multiple representatives of the church, it's through prayer, and uh, it's with the intention of fulfilling these requirements so that we can actually say that it is from God. Uh, and with the media call, there's, there's both the internal and the external call, too, mm. meaning uh, we don't just have someone say, I want to be a pastor. I've been called. I've been called, and they just a Church. That's what a lot of it's very popular in America, uh, especially among certain Baptist groups um, or you know, non denominational groups, uh, Pentecostal groups, and such. Well, they just say, I'm a minister because God has called me. Um, we say, no, you have to have an external call. The Church has to say, you are qualified, and we desire you to serve. You also need to have the internal call. No one can be forced into this. You do need to have the desire to be a pastor, the desire to proclaim the Word of God and to do the labor, uh, but you, that's not enough. You have to have both the internal and the external call. Uh, now, these m- media calls, are call just as immediate calls are it's obviously different uh, but Jesus uh, in the sense that I mean these are apostles they write the Word of God and we believe it as, uh, as the very Word of God um, but yeah at the same time Jesus still says a pastor is the one who hears you, he hears me. Mm. Uh, so when you hear a pastor preach, even though he has a, a media call, he's still preaching the Word of God as long as it's in agreement with Scripture. That's how we judge our pastors. And Jesus says, beware of false prophets. So uh, both those who receive an immediate call, which is our prophets and apostles, and those who receive immediate calls, which are pastors, uh, receive a call from God. And the words that they proclaim are God's word. And what has God called them to proclaim? We see this in uh, Mark chapter 16, you know, we see in Luke chapter twenty-four, for 6, Luke proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations, again with Jerusalem uh, to proclaim the gospel. So the whole purpose of this is not just simply the, the twelve thing; it's always for the sake of the gospel, and that's what these men who are going to be called today are being called are being sent out to do. The, this is the same thing that Messiah has been called to do, and what they then, when they appoint. Ministers in every elders and every uh, town uh, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can hear and believe. Mm-hmm. As uh, St. Paul says, uh, how can uh, they hear? Everyone uh, who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe unless someone preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they assent? The faith they're hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And, of course, Jesus prays, in the high priesthood prays, I do not pray only for, for, those, for them, but also for those who will believe by their word. So there's no such thing as faith in Christ apart from the gospel. And that means that we need people to preach the gospel. So people look at the Church, and generally the Church is shrinking in America, and uh, a young man probably will look at the Church and do the math and say, well, with so many older people, so few younger people, is this a viable career? Um, God forbid us to let that discourage us. Uh, young men who have the desire to proclaim the gospel, I think, should be encouraged to consider, uh, the office of the ministry to be pastors. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We should believe Jesus rather than our eyes. We need pastors. We need faithful pastors who are going to proclaim the gospel, who are going to, rebuke sin, and are going to comfort with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for the sinful people, who will baptize, admit his sacrament, visit the sick, visit the elderly, and do the hard work. Uh, and God promises that he will bless it.
0: That's a fantastic, fantastic. Ask, answer, Pastor Preuss. And what I, what I really appreciate about what you said about the difference in the immediate and Im- immediate call, something we talked about yesterday in introducing the book of Acts is that there's a, a danger of taking descriptive texts and making them prescriptive. And I think you, you did a fantastic job of using the rest of scripture to help us understand what's going on here in, in the right way so that we don't take a text like this and say, oh look, we should call pastors the only way to do it by is correctly is by casting lots. And and you helped us to avoid that error in a very helpful way that still very clearly proclaims the truth that when God calls men into the pastoral office today, it is his call, the one that he extends through his church. Got about two minutes here, Pastor Preuss, to help us wrap things up. Give us the goods from this text in Acts chapter 1.
1: Yeah. There's one thing I, I wrote in my notes that I didn't bring up. I don't know if I want to be the closing thing. I can mention it. I've heard a theory that Matthias wasn't actually supposed to be the 12th Apostle because Paul is then called directly by Jesus immediately, not immediately. And uh, But when you add Paul, you have 13, so it kind of messes up the whole number thing. Um, I don't know. I think it's fine for us to just have things that... Uh, don't jive the way we want them to, and just have this 13th Apostle Paul. Uh, I think Matthias, I think we should call Matthias the Apostle. Uh, this is what Scripture says. I don't think Peter is acting presumptuously. I think he's being very faithful. And uh, I think there's also a lesson here that we shouldn't deny the call because it's immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, people should recognize that their pastors are actually sent by God, and pastors should believe this too. They should actually trust that the Holy Spirit is working with them when they're studying the Scriptures and preparing for their sermons and Bible studies. And if you don't believe that, then you're probably going to have really bad sermons and Bible studies. Uh, but people, uh, obviously, a pastor can make a mistake. Obviously, you have to train yourself, listen to Scripture, read Scripture, learn your catechisms so that you can mark and avoid false teachers, so that you don't end up in a church like you know the ELCA or something. Uh, but we should also recognize what Jesus says: those who hear you, hear me; those who reject you, reject me; and those who uh, reject me, reject him. Luke uh, Luke ten sixteen, and uh, this applies to Matthias, and this applies to the men who are being called today and throughout the year. Uh, they are they are called by God, even though God is using men, and we should recognize that. Obviously, uh, keeping an eye out for false teachers. But not judging them based on our feelings. People get mad at pastors for all sorts of different reasons. People get mad at everyone for all sorts of different reasons. But a pastor is not a good pastor or a bad pastor based on your feelings. He's a good pastor or a bad pastor based on whether he is faithful to the Word of God and proclaims the gospel. Uh, so uh, I just exhort all Christians everywhere to be aware of that and to recognize their pastors as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of, of God. And to hear their words as the very voice from Uh, heaven—it's not an an exaggeration, not hyperbole. Uh, The the sermon you hear on Sunday morning—that's Jesus speaking to you. That's what the word apostle means. He's sent by by uh, God. That's what the word pastor means. He's a shepherd. The only shepherd is the Good Shepherd. So we should pray for our pastors, and uh, we should thank God that we do have a a a call system. where we're able to use the church to call men and believe that God
0: actually sent them. Thank you to Pastor James Price for being our guest today here on Sharper Iron. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.